You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Morning. Got your Bibles there. Please go ahead and open them up to uh, Matthew chapter 22, and we'll start at verse 35. In Matthew 22, verse 35, and last week we finished up our series on the kingdom. And over the past eight weeks, we've seen this unifying theme of the kingdom all the way throughout the Bible, which leads us now today to this very important question, which is this. What is the priority of the kingdom? What is the priority of the kingdom? As God's people in God's place, under God's rule and God's blessing, what should our priority be? What is the priority of the kingdom? How are we now to live that we have been brought into the kingdom? Well, Jesus answers this question for us right here in Matthew chapter 22. Have a look at verse 35. Verse 35. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The priority of the kingdom is this. It's love. It's love. The priority of the kingdom is love. The priority of the kingdom is for God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing to love him with all that they are and then to love their neighbor with all that they have. This is the priority of the kingdom. And we're not talking about some kind of uh, worldly definition of love. We're talking about a biblical love. We're talking about a supernatural love. We're talking about a love for God that involves being so satisfied in him that we gladly pour our lives out for others for him and for his glory. This is the priority of the kingdom, to love God with all that we are, all that we are, and then to love others with all that we have. This is God's command and priority for his kingdom. Question, is it our priority? Is it my priority? Is this your priority? Can you and I really say that loving God and loving others is the number one priority in our lives? How often can we really say that we are loving God with our whole heart? How often can we really say we are loving our neighbor as ourselves? And how often can we really say that we are doing both together at the same time? Because this is the priority of the kingdom. And so what do we do? Well, this leads us to our first point, which is this. The priority of the kingdom is love. Therefore, point number one, I must grow in loving God with all that I am. I must grow in loving God with all that I am. Have a look with me at verse 35. Verse 35, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And so here we have a scribe, we have a a lawyer, he's an expert in the law, and he's coming to Jesus to ask him a question, to test him. 
He's asking him a question to see how Jesus is going to respond because maybe Jesus is going to say something controversial that can be used against him later. And so he asks him a very loaded question here in verse 36. Look what he asks. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, this is something that the Pharisees argued and debated about all the time. Because what they had done is they took the first five books of the Bible from Genesis to Deuteronomy and they pulled out 613 commandments. 613 commandments. And then they argued back and forth and debated all the time about which ones were the most important and which ones weren't quite so important. Which ones were the weightiest and which ones were not. And, and maybe we get them in kind of a list here from most important to least important. And so he's now coming to Jesus and he's saying, Jesus, out of the uh, 613 commandments, tell us, which one's the most important? Which one is the weightiest? Look what he says in verse 37. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And so what Jesus is doing is he's quoting directly from Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is a text that everybody would have been very, very familiar with. Here it is. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. This, Jesus says, is the most important commandment. This, Jesus says, is the priority of the kingdom, to love God with all of the heart, all of the soul, all of the mind, all of the strength. It's another way of saying that the priority of the kingdom is to love God with all that we are, to love him in such a way that he is exalted to the highest place in our hearts and in our lives. And so what does that look like exactly? Well, it looks like this. It's the diagram of the biblical heart. So we have the mind, the affections, and the will. And so for God to be exalted to the highest place in our hearts and our lives, he first must be exalted to the highest place in our minds, the highest place in our thinking, that our greatest thoughts would be thoughts of God and his glory and his perfections, that he would take top place in our thinking. But then he also must be exalted in our affections, that he would have the highest place in our affections, that, that all of our love and the one we value the most, the one we treasure the most would be him. But then also that he'd be exalted in our wills, that he would be our Lord, he would be our master, he would be the one who alone we obey. This is what it looks like for God to be exalted to the highest place in our hearts and in our lives. This is what it looks like to love him with all that we are. And so how then do you and I become a people who are more like that? Well, Luke chapter 7, you don't have to turn there, I'm going to read this to you. Luke chapter 7, Jesus gives a parable to a Pharisee named Simon. And here's the parable. He says this, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other owed 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of them both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. In other words, when we begin to truly understand how much Jesus has loved us, that's when we begin to truly love him. 
when we begin to truly understand just how much Jesus has loved us, that's when we truly begin to love him. 1 John 4, 19 says that we love because he first. That's right. So how then has Jesus loved us? Well, here's how. He's loved us through the gospel. And in Matthew 24, Jesus calls the gospel the gospel of the kingdom. So you're thinking, well, what is the gospel of the kingdom uh, exactly? Well, let's begin at the beginning in Psalm 90. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God has always existed. The story begins here. Because it's God's story. We are living in God's story. He is the uncreated creator. He has always existed. He created time. He created space. He created the universe. He created everything. And he is absolutely perfect. Isaiah 6.3. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That word holy there, it means completely separate, completely other, completely perfect in every conceivable way. He's not just holy. He's holy, 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 ultra, mega, absolutely perfect beyond all comprehension and imagination. He is absolutely awesome. Therefore, he does not need anything. Acts chapter 17. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God does not need anything. He has himself. He is completely satisfied in himself. The Father is completely satisfied in the Son and the Spirit. The Son is completely satisfied in the Father and the Spirit. The Spirit completely satisfied in the Son and the Father. And and in the glory of God, the manifest perfections of God, God is absolutely, completely, and totally satisfied. He does not need a creation. He does not need a universe. He does not need us. He needs nothing. But he desired a people. Didn't need a people. He desired a people. He desired a kingdom. He desired to have a people that he could draw near to himself so that they would enjoy God like God enjoys God. Ephesians chapter 1. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. God's desire is to bring a holy and blameless people into his presence because that's the only people that God can bring into his presence. Got to be holy, got to be blameless to be in the presence of God. His, His desire to bring a holy, blameless people into his presence that they would enjoy God like God enjoys God. Jesus talks about this desire in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. He says, Father, I desire... And if it's Jesus' desire, we know it's the desire of the Father and the desire of the Spirit. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory. This is the desire of God, to have a people that see his glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. God's desire is to have a people that he brings near to enjoy God the way God enjoys God. But then everything gets completely messed up. 
Romans chapter three. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have rebelled. All have turned away from God. All have turned their back on God. Therefore, nobody can enter the presence of God because nobody is holy. In fact, because everyone has sinned, now all are under the judgment of God, the just judgment of God. Romans chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The the judgment of God is upon all of humanity because of sin and no one can enter into his presence. And so what does God do? Well, he initiates his rescue plan. 2 Corinthians 5.21, the gospel For our sake, for the sake of the people of God, he, that's God the Father, made him, that's God the Son, to be sin. Here's what this means. That 2,000 years ago, the the Father, he sends the Son to, to fix the big problem, which is sin. He sends his Son to be a sacrifice, to be an atoning sacrifice for sin. And Jesus gives himself over to be crucified on a cross. And as he hangs on that Roman cross, God the Father, he takes the sin of his people, the sin of everyone who would ever place their faith in him, and he places it on his son. And then the wrath of God that we deserve, that I deserve for our sin, he pours it out on his son in full, the wrath and the fury of God for sin. He pours out upon his son, upon the soul of the son, until Jesus had suffered completely and paid for it all in full, not one sin left remaining outstanding. And he said, it is finished. And he gave up his spirit. And he died. And he was buried. But then three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that God the Father had accepted his sacrifice as complete and total payment for the sin of his people. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Let's just go back one slide. Who knew no sin, who knew no sin. Well, here's what this means. That Jesus Christ, he never sinned. He's perfect, he's perfect. Which means this, that he always perfectly loved God with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength at all times. And he perfectly loved his neighbor as himself for his 33 years on the earth. He perfectly obeyed the Lord. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that, here's the reason, So that in him, that means through faith in him, believing in him, through faith in him, so that in him we, we might become the righteousness of God. So what does that mean, that we would become the righteousness of God? Here's what it means. It means the great exchange. It means that when Jesus was on the cross, all of our sin was transferred to him. The wrath of God poured out on him. He pays for our sin in full. Not one sin left, but that's not the end of the story. Because to be made perfect, we need to be righteous. And so, and so God then takes the perfect obedience of his son and he credits it to our account as though we had done it. So God can legally say that we are righteous. And why has he done this? Has he done this just so we can be righteous? No. First Peter chapter 3. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That's the whole point. He needs to make us righteous. He needs to make us perfect so that he can bring us to himself so that we can enjoy God like God enjoys God. 
And when we start to get this, we start to really understand the gospel. It's like, hey, whoa, whoa. So I deserve the wrath of God right now. I deserve right now to be in hell for my sin. And with the wrath of God being poured out on me, not for a day or a hundred years or a thousand years, but forever. The only true state of hopelessness forever will never end. But instead of that, I'm made righteous and, and, and could be brought into the presence of God to enjoy him both now and forever like God enjoys God. What? When we start to get this, here's what happens. We love because he first loved us. This is the gospel of the kingdom. So in light of this gospel, how much should we then love God? How much should we love God? Because of the gospel of the kingdom. Is this the top priority in our lives? Is this the top priority in my life? To love God with all that I am because of the gospel. Is this the top priority in your life to love God with all that you are because of the gospel? Because this is the priority of the kingdom. This is the most important thing to God that we love him. So question, are we growing in love for God because of the gospel? Or is our love for God growing cold because we've lost sight of the gospel? Are we growing in, in love for God because of the gospel? Or is our love for God growing cold because we've lost sight of the gospel? Because recall what Jesus said to the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2. He said this, he said, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Is this describing us? Have we abandoned the love that we had at first? Have we lost sight of the love of God in the gospel? Because we can think of it this way. When the roots of our heart are in the rich soil of the love of God in the gospel, then here will be the fruit in our lives. There will be much love for God and there will be little love for the world. When the roots of our heart are, are deeply in the soil of the love of God and the gospel, then the fruit that we'll see in our lives is there will be much love for God, and there will be little love for the world because there's much love for God. But the reverse is also true. That if the roots of our heart are not rooted in the love of God and the gospel, then here's the fruit that we'll have in our lives. There'll be little love for God. And there will be much in an ever-increasing love for the world. So let's ask ourselves, when we look at these two trees, which one best describes where we are currently at in our lives right now? Which of those two trees would you say best describes where you are at right now in your life? Are you rooted in the love of God and the gospel and growing in love for God? Or have you lost sight of the love of God in the gospel and you're growing in love for the world? Now, I think that all of us can agree here that none of us has a perfect heart, 
right? Can we agree? We agree there? None of us here has a perfect heart. Therefore, none of us are going to perfectly love God. As long as we have indwelling sin in us, we are not going to love God perfectly in this life. Therefore, all of us are in constant need of repentance. Martin Luther, he put it this way. He said, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed that the whole life of believers should be repentance. And here's why. Because so often we don't love God as we should. So often I don't love God as I should. I have a deep and passionate desire to love God with all that I am. But just my heart so quickly goes sideways. And I fall so short. And there isn't a day that goes by where I don't have to go before the Lord and just say, Lord, I haven't loved you as I should. How about you? When was the last time that you confessed to the Lord that you have not loved him as you should? Do you need to come to him today and just just confess and receive his fatherly forgiveness? Because if you're in Jesus Christ, you've already received uh, legal forgiveness. Your sin was paid for on the cross, but we still need to come to our father and confess our sin and receive his fatherly forgiveness and have our fellowship with him restored. Ask yourself, Do I need to run to the Lord today? Do I just need to run to him today and just confess that I haven't loved him as I should? Because listen, he's waiting. And he desires to forgive. He loves to forgive. Do I need to come to him today? Not only do we need to confess And not only do we need to seek his forgiveness, but we also need to do this. We need to attack the underlying problem, which is a love problem. We need to fan into flame our love for God by remembering the amazing truth of the gospel. And here it is, that all of our failure to love God in the past and all of our failure to love God right now in the present and all of our failure to love God in the future that we haven't even done yet has all been transferred to Jesus Christ on the cross. He's paid for it all. And not only that, but his perfect love for God has been credited to our account as though we did it. So God can open up your file and it says, under under obedience and sin, it says that you've never failed to love God and that you've always loved God perfectly. This is the gospel of the kingdom. And because of that, we will never, ever, ever experience the wrath that we deserve, but instead we can enter into the presence of God and enjoy him both now and forever in the kingdom. This is the love of God in the gospel. And when we truly begin to experience this love, we grow in our love for God and we grow in our love for God. Question, question, how can we know if this is happening in our lives? How can we know that we are growing in love for God? Well, here's one way we can know for sure. One way we can know for sure that we're growing in love for God is this. We are growing in our desire to spend time with him. Because what do you do when you love someone? You want to spend time with them, right? I love my wife and I love my kids. I love going home from work at night and seeing them and spending time with them. I love that. I love spending time with them because I love them. This is what we do when we love someone. We want to spend time with them, especially when that person is the God of the universe who has loved you perfectly in the gospel. So ask yourself, what does my God time look like? What did my God time look like this week? 
is the love of God in the gospel filling you with the desire to spend time with God in word and in prayer? Is that me? Well, maybe you're thinking to yourself, that's just not where I'm at right now. My love for God has grown cold. And my desire to meet with him is just, it's not there. What should I do? Well, here's the start point, and it's what we all must do. We need to get the roots of our heart back in the gospel, and we just need to keep them there. We just keep them there. That God would then fill our hearts with his love, and we would love God and live for the priority of the kingdom more and more and more. We need to keep the roots of our heart in the truth of the gospel, because the priority of the kingdom is love. Therefore, I must grow in loving God with all that I am. But that's not the only thing I must do. I must also do this, point number two. Point number two, I must do this. I must grow in loving others with all that I have. I must grow in loving others with all that I have. Take a look again at verse 36. The lawyer, he says this, he says, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So here in verse 39, Jesus is quoting from Leviticus chapter 19 up on the screen. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So we don't have this in the Gospel of Matthew, but we have it in the Gospel of Mark. We see how the scribe responds to this. Because, because here's what Jesus is doing. He's reaching out to Deuteronomy 6, and he's pulling a verse, and he's reaching out to Leviticus chapter 19, and he's pulling a verse, and he's putting them together, and he's saying, this is the main thing. This is the main thing. And so how does the scribe respond to that? Look what he says. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, look at this, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So the scribe here, he's impressed by what Jesus says because he's a scribe. He's studied the scriptures his whole life and he himself has come to the conclusion that the most important thing is to love God and to love your neighbor and not all these empty rituals. So he gets it up here, but he hasn't yet experienced it here in the heart because he hasn't been born again. He hasn't placed his faith in Jesus. He has not entered the kingdom. So Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. In other words, you can see the priority of the kingdom. You can see that the most important thing is loving God and loving others. You can see the priority of the kingdom, but you are not yet in the kingdom. And I wonder who this applies to today. You can see the priority of the kingdom. Even right now, you can see the priority of the kingdom, but you are not yet in the kingdom. Maybe you are here today and you've been coming out to church for a long time. 
Maybe, maybe you know a lot about the Bible. Maybe, you know, uh, maybe you've even got some verses memorized. Maybe you can even explain the gospel, and yet you have not come to Jesus Christ in faith. To you today, these words apply. You are not far from the kingdom of God. You know a lot about the kingdom, but you are not yet in the kingdom. And if the Spirit of God is moving upon your heart today, listen, do not refuse him. If he is coming upon your heart today and saying that you need Jesus Christ, listen to him. Come to Jesus. Confess that you're a sinner. Tell him that you believe in him. Give your life to him. Ask him to save you. I wonder how many of us here today need to come to the kingdom. Do not hesitate. Come right now to Jesus Christ and receive eternal life. Receive the gift that you are being offered right now, the gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. Come into the kingdom. Have a look again at verse 37. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so what does Jesus mean here in verse 39 when he says that the second commandment is like the first commandment? Well, here's what he means. He means that the second commandment is connected to the first commandment. That the second commandment is in fact empowered By the first commandment, that in order to love your neighbor, you first must love God. It's kind of like if you are driving a car that is out of gas. And I have a a member of my family uh, that will remain nameless who just seems to love to drive the car when it's out of gas. Especially when I'm in the passenger side. You ever been in the passenger side of a car or someone's driving and the car's almost out of gas? I personally find that very, very stressful. All right? And they're just like, why don't we go to the gas station? Oh, it's going to be fine. No, seriously. Like, can we just go to the gas? No, no, we're good. And we might go for five kilometers. You might make it 10. You might make it 20. But here's what eventually is going to happen. You're going to be on the side of the road. Likewise, if we're seeking to love people and we don't have a heart that's filled with love for God, you might be able to love people for a little while, but it's just a matter of time before you're on the side of the road. Because it's love for God that empowers love for others. Have a look again at verse 39. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now when Jesus uses that word neighbor, who is he talking about? Well, here's what that word neighbor means. It simply means someone that's close. That's all it means. Someone that's nearby. That's what a neighbor is. Now, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus makes it very clear that your neighbor is anybody. Uh, Regardless of ethnicity or religion, if someone is human and they are near, they qualify as our neighbor, and we're commanded to love them as ourselves. As ourselves. Verse 39. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, we are to love our neighbor in the same way that we love ourselves. How do we love ourselves? How much do we love ourselves? We love ourselves a lot. Love your neighbor like that? Like So how do you and I love ourselves? 
Well, here's at least three ways that we love ourselves. Here's the first way. We love ourselves by pursuing our own practical well-being. Our own practical well-being. So if we're hungry, what do we do? We love ourselves by go getting some food, right? Feeding ourselves. If we're thirsty, what do we do? We love ourselves by going and getting a drink. Giving ourselves a drink. We love ourselves. If we're cold, what do we do? Might go get a sweater because we love ourselves so much. We, we love ourselves so we, we get shelter and education and employment and opportunities and safety for ourselves because we love ourselves in these practical ways. And now Jesus is commanding us, each one of us, to love our neighbor in the same way that we love ourselves. In the same way that we pursue these kinds of things for ourselves, we are now to go and be intentional about finding ways to give those kinds of things to those who are in need. In other words, as we are able to go give food and drink and clothing and shelter and education and employment and opportunities and safety to those who need it, does that describe us? Does that describe me? Does that describe you? Are we loving our neighbors? Secondly, The second way we love ourselves, we love ourselves by pursuing our own social well-being, by pursuing relationships and friendships and community for ourselves. And now Jesus, he's commanding us to love our neighbors in the same way that we love ourselves, in the same way that we pursue community and relationships and friendships. We are now to go and be intentional about showing hospitality and seeking to be a friend to someone who needs a friend. And, and, and doing something, being intentional so people aren't isolated. And, and we're trying to get people connected into community. Does this describe us? Does this describe me? Does this describe you? Are we loving our neighbors? And thirdly, the third way that we love ourselves, and most importantly, we love ourselves by pursuing our own spiritual well-being by responding to the gospel, receiving forgiveness of sins so we can have fellowship with God. And now Jesus is commanding us to love our neighbors in the same way that we love ourselves. That in the same way that we pursue our own spiritual well-being, we are to go and be intentional about pursuing the spiritual well-being of others by coming alongside other believers and, and looking for opportunities to serve them and to be an encouragement and to speak the truth in love and to point them to the love of God and the gospel. But not only that, We must, we must, we must also pursue the spiritual well-being of unbelievers by giving them what they need the most, which is this, the message of the gospel of the kingdom. Does this describe us? Does this describe me? Does this describe you? Are we loving our neighbors? Because this is the priority of the kingdom. It's love. Maybe you're thinking, well, that's like a lot. That's like a whole lifestyle. I mean, how can anyone actually live that way? Well, there's only one way that this can happen, and there's only one way that this will happen in our lives, and it's this. We must have our roots of our heart in the love of God and the gospel. That's the only way. We have to keep the roots of our heart in the love of God and the gospel, because where there's healthy roots, there will be healthy fruit. Where there's healthy roots, there will be healthy fruit. When the roots of our heart are healthy, then the fruit that will be in our lives is loving God 
and loving others. And this is the priority of the kingdom. Love for God and love for others. Love for God, love for others. They cannot be separated. They always go together. You cannot remove one. God does not intend us to love him and then not love our neighbor. He does not intend for us to be a swamp. He does not intend for there just to be an inflow, 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 and no outflow. He doesn't intend for us just to receive, 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 and just become a stagnant Christian. This is his desire, that we be more like this, a rapids, receiving the love of God, loving God, loving others, receiving the love of God, loving God, loving others, receiving the love of God, loving God, and loving others. In fact, in fact, if we are truly experiencing the love of God in the gospel, we can't be a swamp. It is biblically impossible for that to happen. If we are truly experiencing the love of God in the gospel, it will always lead us to loving others, always, 100% of the time. How do we know? Because God says so. 1 John chapter 4. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. They always go together. If we love God, we'll love our neighbor. If we love God, we'll, they, we, they can't be separated. Jesus said the same thing, John chapter 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If we love God, we will love others. They always go together. So what does it say then about our hearts if we're not loving others as we should? Well, here's what it says. It says there's a root issue. It says there's a heart issue. It says there's a love issue. It says that we're not loving God as we should because we are loving something else. And this is why loving others can just seem so unappealing to us sometimes. Let's just be honest. Doesn't loving others just seem unappealing? Like a lot of work? Why is that? Well, here's why. Here's why. Because loving others will usually mean we have to give up whatever it is that we're actually loving. So for example, if we're loving money, if we're loving money, then we're not going to be pretty fired up about loving others with money because it means I'm going to have to give up the thing I really love. If I love entertainment, my whole thing is entertainment, I'm not going to be excited about, about going and loving other people because it means I'm going to have to give up my entertainment time. If I love comfort, I just want to stay comfortable all the time. I'm not going to be interested in loving others because loving others means I'm going to have to lose my comfort. Question. Is the love of something else holding you back from loving people? Is the love of something else holding you back, restraining you from loving people? Because here's what we need to see. That if we are loving something else more than God, it's always going to hold us back from loving others. Always. If we're loving something else more than God, it's always going to hold us back and restrain us from loving other people. And I don't know about you, but I struggle with this every day. 
every day I have this, I have a deep desire to love my neighbor as myself. The Spirit of God has given us that. I, I want to love people well, but, I, but every day, again, my heart just seems to go sideways. And, and I just, I fall so short every day. And there isn't a day that goes by where I don't need to come before the Lord and just confess I haven't loved people as I ought to. I want to, but I haven't. How about you? When was the last time that you confessed to the Lord that you haven't loved others the way that you should? Whether it's your spouse or your kids or extended family members or people in the church or people at work or people at your school or your neighbors. God even commands us to love our enemies. Do you, do I, do we need to come before the Lord today and just confess, just confess to him, I haven't loved others the way that I should. Do we need to do that today? Because again, he is gracious and he wants to forgive us. He's waiting for us to come. He longs to forgive us. He loves to forgive us. And not only do we need to confess and not only do we need to seek his forgiveness, but again, we need to attack the underlying problem, which is a love problem. We need to fan into flame our love for God by remembering the amazing truth of the gospel, which is this, that all of our failure in the past to love people and all of our failure in the present to love people and all of our failure in the future that we haven't even done yet to love people, it was all transferred to Jesus Christ on the cross and he paid for it all in full. And not only that, but his perfect love for people has been credited to our account as though we did it. So God opens up your file in heaven and it says that you've never failed to love anyone and you've always perfectly loved everybody. This is the gospel of the kingdom. And because of this, we will never experience the hell that we deserve, but can enter into the presence of God and enjoy him forever in the kingdom. This is the love of God in the gospel. And when we have our roots in the love of God in the gospel, then we will love God and we will love others. And when we love others, watch out. Because if you become someone who is growing more and more and more in loving others, then you are going to be tremendously blessed. Tremendously blessed. Look what Jesus says in John chapter 15. Love this so much. Look what he says. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, as God the Father has loved me, I've loved you in the same way. As the Father loves the Son, uh, the Son loves you. As God loves God, God loves you. That's what he's saying. And now he says, abide in my love, meaning I want you to experience my love, live in my love, dwell in my love. I want you to experience it. I want you to experience the fullness of my love. How do we do that? He tells us. Look what he says. If you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, if you do what I say, then you will experience my love. So here's what he does not mean. He does not mean that he's going to love you more because he already loves you perfectly. He's not going to love you more. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm going to open your eyes a little bit wider to experience my love, to see my love a little bit more, a little more clearly if you do what I say. 
That's what he says. And what does he command us to do? This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So here's what he's saying. That if we become intentional about loving others, he's going to bless us by opening up our eyes a little bit wider to see the greatness of his love. And then this will be the outcome. It's verse 11. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. It's a blessing. He says, he says, if you go and be intentional about loving other people, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to open up your eyes wider to see the greatness of my love for you, and then you're going to be filled with joy. The priority of the kingdom is the road to our joy. Awesome, awesome. I love the simplicity of this up on the screen. As we experience God and his love in the gospel, then we grow in love for God. As we grow in love for God, we grow in love for neighbor. As we love our neighbors, God causes us to experience more of his love. He opens up our eyes a little bit wider, which causes us to love God more and then love our neighbor more. And then he shows us more of his love and we love God more. And around and around and around we go. This is the blessing of loving others. So awesome. So how can we put this into practice? Well, here are five ways that we can live for the priority of the kingdom. Number one, stay rooted in the love of God and the gospel. This is the number one thing. We, we can't put the gospel on the shelf. We can't forget about the gospel. We have to keep our, uh, the roots of our heart rooted in the love of God and the gospel. Second thing, let this lead to this. Let this produce love in us so that we spend time with God. We need to spend time with God. Unless we abide, there will be no fruit. We need to spend time with God in prayer. We need to spend time with God in his word. And this is what we do when we love him. When we love someone, we spend time with them. We need to spend time with God. Also, also spend time with God corporately with other people as well. Stay rooted in the love of God and the gospel. Spend time with God. And then this, be intentional in looking for opportunities to love others, to, to keep our eyes open, to be looking around. Where is there an opportunity? See a need, see a need, see a need, and then take action and meet a need. Do something. When you see a need, take action and do something. And then this, expect to be richly blessed because this is what God has promised. As we are intentional about seeing a need and meeting a need and loving others, because we love God, he's going to open up our eyes wider and wider and wider to see and experience more of the love of God and the gospel. Love. Love is the priority of the kingdom. And because this is the priority of the kingdom, I must grow in loving God with all that I am. And I must grow in loving others with all that I have. This is the priority of the kingdom. Let's pray. So Father, we thank you so, so much for your love for us in the gospel. We think about Jesus Christ being sent from heaven to earth to be an atoning sacrifice for our sin. We think of Jesus giving himself up to be crucified and the suffering that he endured, the physical suffering, but then we consider the spiritual suffering, the wrath of God poured out upon the Son of God in our place, taking the wrath that we deserve, paying for our sins in full and living the perfect life we could never live so that it might be credited to our account 
so that we can be declared righteous and brought into the presence of God, that we might rejoice in God and love God and enjoy God like God enjoys God forever and ever and ever and ever in the perfected kingdom. What a gift! You love us so much and you've proven it. You've shown it. And so now in response to the greatness of your love, we want to worship you. In Jesus' name. Amen.